Welcome to Social Minute, the podcast that looks at the social network minute by minute. Today we are covering minute number 64, which is an hour and three to an hour and 3.59 on the clock. Uh, in this minute, Larry Summers uh, kind of delivers the death blow. Um, <laughs> telling them, you know, start a new project, a new new project. You know, just do something else. Um, you know, and I love the, the whole kind of, you know, you know, please arrive at the point. <laughs> sums up everything that's been going on in this meeting. You know, just get to the point. Um, and then he he kind of twists the knife a little bit with uh, the, the obviously the you know Anne's second line of the uh, of the the kind of the film where he says, "How did they get this appointment?" And of course, she says, "Colleagues of their father." And I feel like she takes a bit of delight um, in saying that. Um, and then, of course, uh, this is where, you know, he kind of he kind of we finished the minute with him kind of um, saying uh, this kind of conversation about, um, you know, you don't get special treatment, <laughs> um, which I, I, you know, that feels like the thing that you shouldn't kind of say to the Winklevoss twins, because, you know, given their lives, I have a feeling that special treatment is all they've ever gotten. Right. And joining me to talk about today is Sean German. <laughs> Hello, Sean. Ahoy, hi. Hello, everybody. So yeah, you know, um, like I don't know, like the the kind of this is where we arrive at kind of the 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 whole thing where Summers he's clearly, you know, he's lost his patience, <laughs> you know. Um, in the previous minutes, you know, Tyler has pointed out that you know their freshman address was titled, you know, "Let Your Imagination Run Away with You" by Larry Summers, and so you know he then has to address that by saying, "Well, then you know, <laughs> let your imagination run away on a new project." <laughs> like, you know, that's his suggestion of what they need to do next. Um, you know, and of course, again, he he says something that I feel is kind of true of Harvard, uh, but also might be Aaron Sorkin taking a little bit of a shot at Harvard, where he says everyone at Harvard is inventing something. Harvard undergrads, undergrads believe it. It's better to invent a job than find a job. So do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, come up with a new, new project. Um, and of course, that's where Cameron, you know, trying to kind of keep his calm a little bit, says, I'm sorry, but that's not the point. And of course, Larry Summers is like, please arrive at the point. <laughs> so, you know, and of course the whole, you know, we know that the kind of the difference between the two depositions that have taken place is the one between, you know, the twins and Div uh, is about intellectual property theft. Uh, whereas the one between, um, you know, Wado and, and Mark is about, well, their friendship, but it's also about someone having their shares diluted. Um, so they're about two different things, essentially. Like, one is about, did he steal the idea? And the other is, did he then try and rip everybody off once he had the idea? Um, and so here we actually get the seeds of Cameron figuring this out by saying you don't have to be an intellectual property expert to understand the difference between right and wrong. <laughs> and, you know, this is I love, again, this is where Summers is like, are you saying that I don't? And, of course, Cameron, like, obviously this is, you know, like you say, this is kind of his debating tactic is to kind of, lay the breadcrumbs to a logical argument and ex and expect the other person to agree. But of mm -hmm. course he's been caught off guard here and, and Cameron's like, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> like he has to, <laughs> he has to kind of backtrack just a little bit um, where obviously, you know, he's, he's not saying that, you know, Larry Summers needs to be an intellectual property expert. He's just saying the general person, man on the street, you know, they, they, they would understand that this is, you know, the difference, you know, the difference between right and wrong in this particular case. Um, and I like, of course, how once Cameron has walked it back, Tyler is like, I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. I'm saying you don't know the difference between right and wrong. You know, you've, you you stole, you you know, this idea has been stolen and you can't see that that's what's happened, you know. Yeah, we could um, see throughout throughout this week, sort of, uh, as, you know, Tyler just sees his brother losing this argument and his, you know, his patience and his self-control are both wearing down by the time. Yeah, he gets a couple good good comments this, this minute. He's got the, yeah, I'm, I'm saying that. To the question of, uh, are you saying that Larry Summers doesn't know right from wrong? And then later on, a little quip about, well, towards the end of the minute, um, you, know, you could you could take that Harvard student handbook and and shove it up your butt. Uh, and then he'll he'll get yeah. cut off by his brother at that point. So we're not quite sure where he was suggesting Larry Summers stick that student handbook, but um, yeah, I, uh, I definitely and I have a note that uh, Tyler's the funny one of the twins. He amuses me. <laughs> well, uh, Cameron attempts to, like, he, he says, sir, like, trying to get it back on track. And, of course, that's where Larry is like, why are you in my office again? And, of course, Anne is like, their father. Yeah. And then, of course, he's like, yeah. You know, like, he, he knew that all along, but he's letting Anne set him up for the delivery. Um, and, of course, we finish the minute with him saying, let me tell you something, Mr. Winklevoss. And as he says, Mr. Winklevoss and Mr. Winklevoss, uh, both Cameron and Tyler were looking at Anne as she delivered that line. So as he says their names, they both turn to him, which mm-hmm. is a, a lovely little detail. Um, uh, and I also like the fact that he he doesn't just call them, you know, Mr. Winklevosses or something. Like he, he goes <laughs> one at a time to get their attention. Um, and I like how, like, you know, they, eat, they each turn individually. Like when they hear Mr. Winklevoss, they don't both turn at the same time. <laughs> like they know which one he's talking to, which I, I like the little, the individual turns is probably a nice little touch from Army Hammer there. Um, also probably helps with the whole CGI thing if they distinguish them by those little turns as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, he says, you know, on the subject of right and wrong, this action, this meeting, the two of you being here is wrong. Um, you know, so now that now that he's been set up for that, he says it's not worthy of Harvard. It's not what Harvard saw in you. You don't get special treatment. And that's where we finish the minute with with kind of the devastating you don't get special treatment, which... Again, like I, I feel like the, the twins have managed to get through life to this point just on the fact that they are, you know, six two, two twenty. They're athletic. They're good looking. You know, like all of the the kind of positives that they've had in their life. You know, they've they've probably only got because of like you know the color of their skin and you know the wealth of their family, and now they're actually confronted with somebody who's kind of you know outwitted them a little bit by mm. you know kind of just not responding to emails and running away from them when he sees them on campus. And they, they their only reaction to... Well, their first reaction, obviously, was a cease and desist letter, which they had sent out by their dad's, you know, in-house counsel. So, again, like, this idea that they're kind of like daddy's boys, like, relying on their father to do everything for them, mm-hmm. uh, kind of undermines this idea that they are somehow, you know, the wronged party. When, when the only thing you can do is go and cry to your father, it makes you look so kind of weak. It's like, just, you know... If you if you can't get the meeting with Larry Summers by yourself, then it tells you that you shouldn't have the the meeting with Larry Summers at all, really. Right. Um, yeah. I really, yeah. and I, I don't know how much of that is intentional, but the the irony of that line: you don't get special treatment. The fact that they are in this office to be told this by the president of Harvard is in itself special treatment. The fact that he is there to tell them you don't get special treatment. Well, that is special treatment. If they weren't getting special treatment, they wouldn't even be in his office to begin with. Um, so, yeah. And so, also, like, yeah. 
I, I like as well how like he do, he actually you know he brings it around because you know when they entered his office he was just on the phone like why are these people in my office and he's maintained that for the entire meeting <laughs> and then at the end he's like you're in this office which means something has gone wrong because you shouldn't be here like I don't take meetings with undergrads that's not my job you know I've already told you who does that your housemaster talk to him. Don't talk to me, Larry Summers, president of Harvard. Mm-hmm. Start lower than that. And, you know, um, obviously in the next minute, he will kind of tell them where they need to go next, um, at which, you know, we already kind of know anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I do I do kind of, like I said, you know, this, this whole scene, you could cut this scene out of the film. Like, it doesn't really, all it does is kind of paint the twins as, you know, two whiners who don't realise, you know, that they're, they're kind of leaning on their privilege too much. Um, you know, it is just kind of like a scene that builds that character. Um, you know, it's not it's not strictly necessary, you know, to to know we know where the film is going. We know what their next resort is. But it's just nice to see this little bit of kind of, you know, the Winklevoss twins, um, I guess, kind of at their wits end, like not knowing where to go next. And I'm guessing it's probably their father who suggested, well, you know. I I know someone who knows Larry Summers, you know, like I know, you know, I know someone who worked with Larry Summers when he was at Treasury, so I can get you a meeting, you know, maybe if you make your case to him directly. It feels like this suggestion came from their father rather than the other way around. Like sending out the cease and desist was was kind of, again, that that feels like something that they kind of knew they could do, mm-hmm. um, you know, just using the in-house counsel as the guy who sends out the letter. Um, but n- but now it feels like there's other people who've said to them, well, look, I'll I'll get you a meeting with Larry Summers if you pitched your case to him. Um, I'm sure that, that their father was like, well, if the, if Larry Summers just meets with you, he'll understand, he'll be on your side, and everything will be fine. <laughs> like um, it, maybe it feels like Mr. Winklevoss is is saying to his sons, you know, it's not my concern. Maybe take it up with the guy who's running Harvard, and you know, yeah, I... it, maybe he's palming his kids off onto Larry and being like, look, Larry. <laughs> Sort this out for me. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of see that. Like, they are, I mean, obviously this is, there's a bit of whining going on through all these minutes. They are here to complain and because they feel wronged. But I do have a hard time imagining them. Um, you know, obviously they've they've complained to their father. They've voiced that, that they're having trouble with this Zuckerberg character. Um, but it does, yeah, I, I don't see them making that request. Like, hey, Dad, don't you, you must know someone in Treasury. Can you... Um, you know, can, can you set up a meeting that, that it probably came, that suggestion came from the other side that the father said, Oh yeah, maybe I know someone, maybe I can get you a meeting. And, and maybe that was just, um, yeah, you know, they're, 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 I I thought I got rid of these kids. I sent them off to university. I (laughs) let them complain to someone else. Yeah. Complain to the president of the university. That's better than complaining to me. (laughs) Yeah. Passing the buck. Um, it also it also feels like you know they probably called their father up and said oh someone's stolen this idea and he's like here speak to my in-house counsel (laughs) and his in-house counsel is probably sitting there being like what am i doing like i'm i'm drafting letters for my boss's kids like (laughs) it it feels like that was the first palming them off under somebody else and this is like the next stage of you know palming them off under somebody else right because yeah i can't i can't imagine that there are too many people at this time whose reaction would have been much different than than Larry Summers at this point in terms of, all right, you had an idea and someone else is doing it. Come up with a new idea. Just, you know, I, you know, very few people at this point are going, oh, gee, a website where people are going to post pictures and complain. No, that's that's obviously worth a billion dollars. <laughs> sure. 
Um, you know, not really, or or not, yeah, not according to most people in two thousand three or or two thousand four. They probably his yeah his their father their father's counsel everyone else is is taking the same tack of yeah why am i listening to this what is this just you had an idea well have another idea then um, yeah it's worth saying as well that you know um after tomorrow's minute uh the next time we see the twins is at the race um oh. and then they make the step to sue so this is this is kind of like one of the last scenes of them um outside of the depositions um you know and we don't you know we don't really get to kind of bounce back to the other deposition at any point like all the all the footage of the the deposition finished you know last week basically um and now we're just kind of catching up in in the in the past to to them kind of finally getting the idea to um go sue so this is kind of one of the final appearances of the twins um you know outside of uh you know the, the kind of the depositions in the film you know the the next kind of uh 20 minutes or so are are going to be um, mostly about uh you know the the kind of the genesis of the next deposition if you will mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and i do like deposition. this you know, i think i i agree in general where you say like this scene could kind of just if you had to cut for time and take this scene out it doesn't it doesn't ruin the movie but it does introduce some things like some intermediate steps um particularly when cameron talks about oh Mr. Zuckerberg hasn't been responding to our emails or our phone calls. I chased him through the quad. That those are things that, um, well, the, the, maybe the chasing, uh, you know, chasing Zuckerberg through Harvard Square, we'd want to see. But, you know, how do you represent that on film to say that, you know, say Mark isn't responding to their emails or their phone calls? That's kind of hard to dramatize and show on screen. But here we'll, we'll, do, we'll set up a situation where the twins can complain about the trouble they're having getting in touch with Mark. So it kind of serves as a stepping stone as build up to eventually they're, they're going to sue. Yeah. Um, And I I mean, also, I mean, uh, you know, the, the scene itself also, uh, I mean, apart from the fact that everybody in it is great, um, you know, the, the performance from Doug Abansky is wonderful and the kind of the, you know, the army's hammer, each performance is so kind of great, you know, the kind of the simmering tension of Tyler and the kind of the calming influence of Cameron. Like it's just a, it's, it's a wonderful kind of, kind of scene just to see them gradually kind of not like Cameron doesn't, isn't getting angry yet. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it will, it will take, it will take something else to kind of finally anger him later on in the film. Um, but I do like how it kind of you you almost see Cameron coming over to Tyler's side, you know, like Tyler's kind of anger of like you know what go off and start a new project. You can almost see Cameron being like, I don't want to like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to do that. We had yeah. a we, yeah we had a great idea, um, but the fact that t- Cameron is still the one to kind of come back with a cert, like he's he's still trying to kind of you know tamp it down and calm things, but he you know he just can't do it because Larry Summers, like I say, you know he's delivering the death blow here of like your father got you in here and that's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You know like. Um, you know, obviously, the, the kind of the thing that prompted this was them figuring out that they were gentlemen of Harvard, um, and they, you know they're not behaving like gentlemen of Harvard. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't this isn't what gentlemen of Harvard would do. You know, <laughs> you don't get the special treatment as Larry Summers tells them. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so yeah. we get the conclusion of this tomorrow. Um, is there anything else that needs to be said about this minute now? Uh, well, I was wondering. So you mentioned gentlemen of. Uh, Gentlemen of Harvard, which of course these days now include gentlewomen as well. Um, I was wondering, do we? I thought the the particular line that Larry Summers says, 
um, the that the Harvard undergraduate believes that inventing a job is better than finding a job. Um, do we? Do you want to get into sort of the Harvard College uh, admissions policy and and practices and how that affects sort of um, I guess the creation of the quote unquote Harvard gentleman? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's it's funny because obviously uh, you know the, the fact that um, these guys got this meeting is is one of those things that kind of contributes to the idea that um, you know certain people in um, let's say the Ivies at least. Um, or some of the more prestigious colleges, obviously in America, we've had recently that scandal where you know obviously people have bought their way in. Um, <laughs> yes. I, this is something I've kind of mentioned in passing before, which is I don't like I don't believe that would ever really actually apply to the Winklevoss twins, because although they do come from a family of means, as has been pointed out to Mark Zuckerberg earlier in the foot film, um, I don't feel like that's how they got in. Like the fact that they are like you know rowing crew, that feels like that is that's how they got in. Um, and, you know, I'm sure at both points they kind of mentioned that they were carrying like a 4.0 GPA. So, like, they're actually, you know, both, you know, fairly intelligent and also very athletic. So um, I have I have kind of alluded to the fact that maybe Divya's family probably um, paid someone to Photoshop him into some <laughs> pictures of him playing polo or something. Maybe like it feels like his entrance is a little less remarkable than the others. Like um, he feels a bit more out of place. Uh, though you know that's that's the character in this film. I I, I think that you know in real life Divya Narendra is is no fool. Like you know he, right. he clearly earned his way to Harvard. Right. Um, and also the difference between like Eduardo and and Mark Zuckerberg again is something that um, you know the kind of the whole you know um, kind of scandal. Um, it doesn't feel like they would you know like Eduardo's family though they are kind of wealthy in Brazil. I don't think that gives them that much pull in you know the U.S. And I think they you know Eduardo clearly got in on his own merits. Um, you know, he'd already kind of proved himself as a business major. Um, and the same is true of Mark Zuckerberg. Like we've had his resume of how he kind of invented stuff and didn't sell it to Microsoft. Right. Um, yeah. So it feels like he had kind of already done a few th- extraordinary things to get him into Harvard. Um, yeah. So I think yeah, it, that it, kind it, of t- ties into what I was thinking. That that's good. Because you, you mentioned all these, all the ways that these uh, students are sort of outstanding in ways that are, outside of kind of outside of school and you kind of mentioned the the Winklevosses I know we'll talk about their GPA at some point and that's obviously school but there's all these things that are outside and I thought like that particular comment from Larry Summers was interesting in terms of you know inventing a job is better than finding a job because um, the the admissions process for undergraduates at Harvard they're they're more interested in finding the Harvard gentlemen than making them. That really they're kind of the, the attitude, my understanding, and I'm, I'm not, I've never worked for Harvard University or been part, well, um, uh, yeah, I've never worked for their admissions office. So I don't have an inside take <laughs> there, but, um, you know, the reporting I've read and, and people have written on it extensively. My impression is that um, they're, the attitude is that the Harvard graduate is sort of advertising for the school. And that's uh, that it reminds me actually a, a note I meant to bring up earlier that I forgot about is the this interaction here between the, the students and a president of the university. And on the one hand, it's kind of like if you are an entry level worker, you're kind of like the drone working in, in an international corporation 
And suddenly you're talking to the CEO where it's, well, you really should be, you know, you should, if you have an issue, talk to your boss or your, your local human resources rep. You don't go right up to the CEO like these boys shouldn't be going directly to the president. But, you know, that, that's an imperfect analogy because they're not obviously not employees of the university. They're students. So but does that make them in one sense, they're the customer. They're buying the educational product of the university. But in another sense, they're they're the product that Harvard University is turning out graduates that go out into the world and they're advertising for the university to say, I went to Harvard and now I'm a billionaire or I went to Harvard and now I'm a Supreme Court justice or I'm the president or whatever. And so at the, the admissions process is designed to identify outstanding people because it's a lot easier to have outstanding graduates when your incoming freshmen are already outstanding. They're already, they've already made some program that Microsoft offered them millions of dollars for, or they're already outstanding athletes and they're competing at a, at a, at a high level, or they're already day trading natural, you know, commodities futures in their spare time over the summer. So yeah, if you have a business school and someone's coming in as a teenager saying, oh, I made tens of thousands of dollars over the summer, or I've, I've, or I'm a computer major, computer science major, and I've already done this, this, you know, made this program that, that people thought was worth money. So it's funny because, so Harvard is kind of in the business of finding the Harvard gentlemen, not necessarily making them, but now Summers is saying, well, you should be inventing a job, not finding it. So I just, I thought that was kind of, um, and not, I don't know if irony is the right word. It's just funny because he's saying, he's saying, oh, just do it on your own, where as a university, they'll take all the help they can get. That's not, you know, the university isn't, well, let me take, you know, let's take the, you know, the least special, the least outstanding students and try to turn them into Harvard gentlemen. No, we're going to take the Winklevosses. We're going to take these you know, these, these six, two beautiful chiseled athletes that are already competing on an international level, we'll take them. And then in four years, we'll pump them out and we'll take credit for it. Like we, like we created them where it's like, no, they were outstanding when they got there. You, you found the Harvard gentleman. You didn't invent the Harvard gentleman. (laughs) It's kind of funny because it does remind me a little bit of, you know, um, like basketball players um there mm-hmm. was a thing um and this comes about because of um kevin garnett every, oh, yeah, obviously you know an accomplished basketball player yes um he was drafted straight out of high school mm-hmm. um and the nba kind of started to get a bit cagey because they were like should we really be taking like 17 year olds and <laughs> sending them into the nba the next year uh, so they, they like, you know, he also got like, uh, I think his contract was like 10 years for 126 million, something like that. And again, they were like that. Let's not do that to 17. Let's not make 17 year olds multimillionaires straight out of high school. Uh, and so they imposed a rule where every like you can't get drafted into the NBA until you've done one year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, that gives colleges the opportunity to spend their time scouting high school prospects and. You know, obviously, if you're, you know, Duke or, you know, any of the colleges that kind of turn out basketball players, you know, above anything else, you pride yourself on finding the best basketball players 
and then bringing them in. And then after a year, they get drafted to the NBA. And you can say, oh, all these people went to Duke, even if they only did a year. And, you know, <laughs> and it's the same thing. It's like the prestige of having the best basketball team. But it's like if all you do is pick the best five, you know, or best 10 um, you know, high school basketball players in the country and bring them to your college. It's no achievement when those 10 then get drafted, you know, first, you know, in the NBA because they were already going to do that without your help, you know. And I think that's kind of the same with, like, Harvard. It's like, okay, you look at, you know, Harvard alums and it's like, yeah, you know, 25 of them write for The Simpsons, but even without Harvard, they would have ended up writing for The Simpsons. Right. Like, they yes. were talented writers. It's... it's just they went to Harvard as, you know, the choice of, you know... Um, so yeah, there is that kind of thing of like finding the cream of the crop, putting them in your school and then taking credit. It, you know, it does feel kind of like, yeah, they, you know, the Winklevoss twins were already, were going to achieve without Harvard. They just like the fact that they get to wear a, you know, a a letterman that has the H on, you know, or a Jersey that says Harvard across its chest. Yeah. So it's, it's certainly an accomplishment in terms of recruiting. You know, so I'm not saying that it, you know, I'm not saying, oh, it's luck or it's not impressive. But yeah, like you said, yeah, with with the state of, of college basketball in the states where it's, um, yeah, how, how much, you know, how much coaching or development are you really doing in that one short year? It, it is um, it, 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 it's more an accomplishment with recruiting. And I think and, and Harvard graduate or Harvard uh, undergraduate school, the college is sort of the same way where it's that they that the output that they have so many accomplished graduates is um, at least, you know, at least as much due to yeah. recruiting as it is to whatever value they're adding with the education and the time that they spend. And we see uh, Zuckerberg, one example, Bill Gates is another of, of people who didn't graduate, who spent some time at Harvard and obviously went on to great success. So again, it's, um, you know, a, a great recruiting job, how much of, of, of what happens at the university contributes to that, we, we, you know, we yeah. can't say for sure. But certainly they, they recruit very well. The Harvard Crimson has a review uh, for the social network um, that came out on the 22nd of October 2010. So literally like uh, I think the Monday after release. Um, mm-hmm. And it's quite funny because they did not like the film. Um, <laughs> and... Ooh. And some of what you're saying is like it's kind of interesting because um, like the the minutes that we're talking about um, are actually kind of covered um, in in particular in one paragraph of this review, which was written by uh, Courtney A. Fisk, eleven. Of course, everybody in the Harvard uh, Crimson is identified by the year that they graduate, regardless of whether they actually graduated. Um, and mm-hmm. so we get this kind of paragraph here where um, it says. Um, <laughs> Uh, I kind of love this because it it really works with like the minutes that we've been talking about where it says um, uh, the the, the kind of reviewer, she says, uh, you know, the the white walled aesthetics of Riverhouse dorms, throwback Quincy House website, the lack of business majors, uh, you know, the university depicted bore comically scant resemblance to the one I currently attended. Rather than offering a nuanced portrayal of social life under the uh, crimson, uh, obviously the crimson being how people at Harvard refer to Harvard, uh, the film reduced Harvard to the palest of stereotypes. Here was the marginalised, unscrupulous Jew outwitted by the uber-entitled wasp upper class who, predictably, 
turned to daddy for backup. The Winklevosses are exemplars of the white male establishment, aggressively aristocratic gentlemen of Harvard, with square jaws and J-Press sports coats. Zuckerberg was a petulant, vengeful Shylock, reincarnated for the digital era. This time he got his pound of flesh and the blood to boot. Uh, hadn't heard this story before. Um, and... <laughs> and then there's a little bit about, um, you know, worse than the film's classist and religious cliches was its depiction of Harvard women, most of whom, oddly enough, were Asian. Uh, obviously, that relates back to the Caribbean night. Take, for example, <laughs> Christie, a yeah. promiscuous co-ed gleaned from Orientalist lore. The film features Christie in three modes, sexual fetish, bathroom stall, blowjob dispenser and crazed pyromaniac bitch, each of which seem decidedly extraneous to the film's plot. It's worth saying she's also obviously in the you know the next few minutes next week where she gets to meet Sean Parker and she's not crazy mm-hmm. or anything in those minutes. She's, you know, quite sensible. Uh, discounting Christie's equally indiscriminate sidekick Alice, all of the film's memorable females hail from somewhere other than Harvard. Um, so, ov- you know, obviously she was hurt by the fact that, um, you know, people, you know, most of the women in the film aren't Harvard alum. Um, although, of course, she does note Rashida L. Jones, 97, <laughs> uh, uh, herself a Harvard alumna, uh, you know, proceeded to class uh, the rest of the film's females as prizes, circulated sex objects that can be bought with enough money, power or social prestige. Again, that's something that kind of relates to the Winklevoss twins. Um, he, You know, and there's a, there's a kind of thing where, you know, um, Aaron Sorkin was, was on, obviously, um, you know, the Colbert Report around the time that this came out. Um, and, you know, talked about the fact that there were very few women in the film. And obviously, you know, this is a story mainly about the men. Um, and it says, at least to current Harvard students, the social network's repeated scenes of intoxicated depravity culled from some animal house meets hip New York wet, uh, wet, sorry, hip New York club wet dream serve as a not so subtle disclosure that Sorkin's narrative attends more to fiction than fact. Um, and then, you know, there's a whole kind of stuff about, uh, you know, uh, Hollywood's penchant for stereotypes, be they gender, faith, class or race based, comes as no surprise. Fiction, moreover, is certainly within Sorkin's right. Few would argue that every film based on real world personage needs to be documentary. Uh, at issue ultimately is not whether the film is fact or fantastic production, but that it is clear enough as to why a narrative so comically trite has been so wildly hailed as defining parable of our generation. Is the zeitgeist of today's 20-somethings really encapsulated by an interrogation, as New York puts it, of the various modalities of assholedom? <laughs> so, she was not a fan. Um, oh, so tell us how you really feel yeah, about the movie. Yeah, uh, the thing is as well, she... Um, it says at the bottom that she is a social studies uh, concentrator uh, in Lowell House. Again, that is how people are referred to in Harvard. They are referred to as being in a particular house. Um, so, yeah, so Lowell is one of the houses that is mentioned at the start when Mark is gathering all the pictures for Face Mash. Um, but, yeah, so I find it kind of interesting that, you know, one of the things that she sees is is the kind of, you know, the pitting of the, you know, the Winklevoss twins against um, Mark Zuckerberg and in particular, you know, kind of his Jewishness versus their waspiness. Um, although I must say, never at any point in the film is Mark's Jewishness really a thing that is kind of at the forefront, um, you know, and the kind of the waspiness of, of the kind of the Winklevoss twins, I guess, is kind of taken like as a given. Uh, but she misses out the fact that Divya Narendra is there and he's definitely not, you know, an upper class wasp of any kind. Um, although I do mm-hmm. find it funny that she did kind of pick out the fact that they turned to daddy for backup, like that being like a main plot point. Yes. So obviously something yeah. that we've obviously discussed today. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that was interesting that, you know, uh, that that was kind of her take on it. 
Um, it would be interesting to kind of track down uh, Courtney A. Fisk uh, today and see if she still agrees with this assessment. Um, <laughs> I I don't know that she would. Um, you know, I I, I I don't know. I think I think I think that the film now obviously looks a little bit quaint compared to you know what's going on with Facebook today. Uh, but at the same time, I I think it's held up quite well over time. I you know like. I, I don't know if she just didn't have a good experience when she went to the cinema, but it seems like... I mean, her, her criticism is valid, you know, like, there, there aren't that many, um, you know, female characters in the film, um, you know, but I guess that's, you know, that's just because who the players are, you know. The, the Winklevoss twins and Divya Narendra and, you know, Eduardo and Mark Zuckerberg, none of them are women, unfortunately. They're all men, so uh, it is a bit of a male-heavy film. Yeah, it, yeah, I agree. Like, a lot of her criticisms are... They have some validity, validity but... Yeah, the, the the players in this um, in this scenario are who they are, um, and I don't know what what else can you do? Can you, um, yeah, I mean the, the the Winklevoss twins are who they are. They they're they they you know in real life these are athletes. These are you know kind of that's I mean everything's kind of prettied up for film usually, but um, yeah, Zuckerberg is who he is, and the twins are who they are, and Larry Summers is who he is and and that's kind of um yeah the way it comes out i could see being a little bit too close um you know this a lot of times when a movie is set in a particular city and people were in the city saying oh you know this obviously wasn't filmed here the skyline's all wrong or this the writers didn't know the different neighborhoods and that's kind of that's beside the point you know to say that this isn't you know it's not an accurate portrayal of social life of harvard undergrads well the movie's not about the social life of harvard undergrads it's nice if you get those details correct but it's really about these characters and their interactions and and the lawsuits that come out of the founding of facebook those are the things that matter and if they get um and then even then even the accuracy of that isn't entirely right because it's or need to be right because it's not a documentary. It's telling a story, and if it's engaging and entertaining, then then it works. And yeah, I'm not. You know, I I hope. I mean, all this came out. I hope that the judges in the cases or whoever's deciding, you know, the the depositions that we're we're hearing throughout the course of the movie, that they're not using the movie as a basis for their decisions because it's just a movie. It's not. Um, you know, it's not portraying itself as the literal truth of these situations. So um, yeah, I would think the writer uh, assuming that she was still attending at the time. She she graduated in 2011. That review was written, graduated in 11. So yeah, if she, if she came back now with um, a few years between herself and her undergraduate days, if uh, you know, she might have a different perspective. It's worth saying as well that, you know, all of the stuff that's, you know, kind of portrayed there or like kind of the social life and stuff uh aaron sorkin did his research with natalie portman um she was his source for most mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff so, and she obviously is a graduate of harvard <laughs> so uh yeah. i i you know well and also there was there was a line where she seemed to the the implication seemed to be that the sort of some of the social aspects are exaggerated at least in terms of like drinking and debauchery and so forth um, and that's, um, like, that's not the case. Like the, you know, the Harvard folks, they're generally, um, they may be more intelligent or they did better on their standardized tests than students at most other schools, but they certainly, they don't drink less. They don't party less. They don't have, 
they don't you know enjoy a good time any less than students at any other school. Um, I think you know. So if she's trying to portray and and you've said it in other episodes that actually uh, you know I guess apparently Mark Zuckerberg went to more parties and did yeah. more drinking than he's kind of portrayed <laughs> as a social outcast. Yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 interesting because if you watch the social scenes with Mark Zuckerberg throughout this film, um, he's pretty much always drinking alcohol. He's drinking alcohol in the opening scene. He's drinking alcohol when he's blogging. He's drinking alcohol when they take the girls back. He's drinking alcohol when he's in California. He even throws that bottle and it smashes against the wall. Um, you know, he's pretty like you know when they're doing the the auditions for the coders. He's drinking alcohol throughout that as well. Like he like he's 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 not someone who's antisocial. Um, you know, throughout the entire film, he's always like even even when he's doing the kind of you know drunk blogging. He's sharing beers with other people, like he's 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 socializing. So, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting that this person felt it wasn't a realistic portrayal. Also, Harvard didn't let them film anywhere on the grounds. So, you know, if stuff doesn't look quite right, it's because Harvard didn't want it to look right. It's not because David Fincher didn't at least try to, you know, portray mm. it accurately. So, um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, I feel like we pretty much covered today's question earlier in the week when we were talking about mud. So uh, let's skip to <laughs> yes. plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Sean? Well, I'll just say, uh, so if, you would, if you've enjoyed or you are in the process of enjoying um, this film, The Social Network broke down one minute at a time, that there are lots of other movies that do the same thing. So if you head on over to moviesbyminutes.com, uh, last I look, I think there were over 130 different entries. So lots of different movies, uh, lots of different great podcasters bringing their um, insightful and entertaining opinions one minute at a time. So, uh, so yeah, check that out. When you're, when you're done listening here, head on over to moviesbyminutes.com and maybe you'll find a, another movie that you'll, you'll enjoy listening to. And you can find us on MySpace at myspace.com slash the social minute or on Twitter at social underscore minute or on Facebook at the social minute podcast. Thanks once more for being my guest here today, Sean. Well, thank you for having me. And otherwise, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.